0: Championship Sunday gave us a little bit of everything. Dramatic comebacks, divisional rivalries, overtime football, and much more. Plus, the head coach and general manager, Carousel, continues to spin as we march toward the Super Bowl. All that more next on the GM Shuffle.
1: Hell,
0: the momentum just keeps on going. NFL football, playoff football has never been better. Close games all over the place after four last week, two more this weekend, and one shocking upset, at least to my eye. I did not think the Bengals would be able to hang in, Mike. You and I spoke last week on the shuffle. We said, listen, the Chiefs are going to win. The line is minus seven. Take the Chiefs. Maybe they win by 10, 14. Instead, a magical postseason run. When I saw an 18 point deficit, I said, okay, congrats. It's, it's been fun. The fact that they came back, though, is amazing. Hardman, Kelsey, and Hill had touchdowns. That's okay, the city was up, but the Bengals didn't blink. 21 unanswered points, capped off by a two-yard score to Jamar Chase and a two-point conversion, and it goes to 24 to 21. Let's talk first, Bengals, how cool this story is. Two wins a couple years ago, four wins last year. They're in the Super Bowl.
2: You know, it's kind of a a nice story for me, particularly watching Mike Brown accept the trophy uh, yesterday. Mike Brown is truly an old-timer. Mike Brown is... uh, is one of the Renaissance people. His father, obviously, is and will be the greatest coach in the history of the game. I mean, there should be more honoring of Paul Brown because what happens on every sideline in the National Football League started and ended with Paul Brown. In doing research for this book, you know, you you learn there's really four trees that essentially make up every coaching every coaching section, including the tr- including where McVay comes from and all that you know and so it's brown which is significant paul brown was the bill gates of coaching he supplied the, the he supplied the software to allow the hardware to run and watching mike brown accept this trophy kind of was was really good in a way now we can spend two weeks honoring his father honoring the franchise and moving forward and when you look at the four, I mean, Walsh is certainly one of the trees. He, he was a Cincinnati Bengal at one time, Sid Gilman, and then, of course, Clark Shaughnessy. So, for me, it was great to see it. It was a certainly AD. It was one of those games when it was 21-3, to three, I'm thinking, okay, I saw this coming. I saw this train happening. And then, all of a sudden, the train crashed. I mean, <laughs> and went sliding down the mountain. Like, what happened? Like, what was Andy Reed thinking with five seconds to go in the first half? Like, right. can we just kind of like I wish we had those tapes, you know, where Lyndon Johnson's talking to Richard Russell in the White House and they have tapes of it, you know. Like, I wish we could have tapes of coaches on a headset during the game and so we could replay it later. Like, what were they
0: thinking? He's thinking, put the coffin put the nail in the coffin, let's bury these guys right now rather than just taking an easy three points. That's what he was thinking. Right. But he's got but the enemy's talking to, to Mahomes, and he's got to be saying, Patrick, look.
2: We got to throw this ball quick. It's either back of the end zone or it. We got, we cannot throw any other throw. Like, you got to think he's saying that. Now, Reed came out door after the game and said, I made a bad call, which clearly indicates he's calling the game, which we can all see, even though we, but the enemy's talking in the headset. Okay. So we know this. So like, how did they let this happen? Like, I would love to be able to go back and replay that for the Andy Reed presidential library. Like what happened here? Like, how did this call happen? Like, we got five seconds. Like, okay, that's time enough to just throw a jump ball to Kelsey in the end zone. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work.
0: But this is interesting, Mike, because you're not arguing in the past. You've said, listen, just take the points. You're saying, I don't necessarily have an issue with going for the touchdown. It's the play call that was abysmal.
2: It's the it's the mechanical. It's like, tell Mahomes, either throw it out, of, we're going to throw. This is the only throw we can make. This is it. The only throw we can make. If we don't make this throw, we're out of luck. Right. And, and so they don't make this throw. And so now instead of, and so we know we're getting the ball to start the half. And we know the last time we played this team, we only scored three points in the second half, right? We know that. And so if we take this points, we're up by two touchdowns. We're up 14. If we can put together a really good 10-play drive and go up 31 to 10, this game's over. It's exactly what we thought it was going to be. Instead, they come out, they only get six first downs in the second half. Four on the last drive of the game, which could be a documentary on how to screw up a drive. Really, it could be. In my sense of this, and I'd love to hear what you think, I thought Mahomes must have gotten hit. Mahomes looked like he was playing, whether it was a concussion. I don't know what it was, and I'm speculating here completely. But he did not look right in the second half from that play forward.
0: It's crazy because his QBR was like, whatever, 96.7 in the first half. And then it was like 1.4 in the second half. Like, the fact he was so abysmal, and you kept thinking, it's like Superman, right? He'll put the cape on, he'll figure this out. Like, when the Chiefs had the ball late, and it's, you know, like, oh, they're they're going to come back. They're going to be totally fine. They're going to get a touchdown. And the fact that, like, it ends in an interception, I get that it's a carom, but... To your point, just looked uncertain. Like, taking those sacks, I'm like, what are you doing, man? Throw the ball away? Like, it was just, he didn't seem like himself. It was just poor, poor decision-making.
2: I mean, and I know we're not allowed to criticize Patrick Mahomes because he's already in the Hall of Fame, but he played like shit. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) I mean, he was horrible. he's I mean, Andy Reid, for all the great things Andy Reid does, and he's certainly deserving of the Hall of Fame, and he is a tremendous offensive coach. But at the end of the day, the game management is a disaster. The last drive is a disaster. I mean, I've often said this about Andy Reid; he should outsource his game man. When he was here in Philly, I used to do WIP, and I would say he should outsource his game management to India. <laughs> he really should. <laughs> that was my one of my lines, and, and 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 this was a this was another documentary on on living proof of that. Like like at some point, like and, and I got you know. And I'm not taking anything away from the Bengals because the Bengals have this. 2001 Patriot feel to them. Yeah. Like, you just don't buy into them yet, and all they do is keep winning. You know, the Patriots, they win the tuck game, okay, in one You know, we we don't have to go over that. That's still painful. They win the tuck game. Then they go to Pittsburgh the next week, and it takes a Troy Brown touchdown return off a punt. They win that game. Then they're 14-point underdogs to the St. Louis Rams in Super Bowl. And they find a way to win that game. Like, I don't think the way Burrow is to say that he's not on that Brady trajectory of convincing people in spite of the team around them that he's going to be great. And I'm one of them because I've every week I didn't think they were. I thought they were going to get beat
0: every week incredibly high praise to even mention Burrow in the same breath as potentially being someone like Brady. Chase obviously stepped up big. How about McPherson? Like, did you have any doubt like this kicker, this guy's got blood in his water, like, or excuse me, ice in his water. Baines.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And look, can we put an end can we please put an end to the overtime conversation? Yeah. Okay. I, like, I know Buffalo's crying. I mean, I know Buffalo should be crying even more today <laughs> after watching that Cincinnati. I mean, because right. Buffalo would be going to the Super Bowl. They would have beaten Cincinnati. Correct. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm-hmm. They would. Their defense would have beaten Cincinnati, yep. and their offense would have continued. But let's just, let's like, put can we put an end to it? Because the Chiefs got the ball. They won the toss, and everybody was going to say the Chiefs are going to win. And they and Mahomes throws a really bad in at double coverage. Awful. Like what is he doing?
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, if Garoppolo made that throw, they oh my god, it would have been horrendous. No. I mean, he was play he played in the second half like Garoppolo plays, without the criticism. Right. You know, and he doesn't deserve the criticism because he's been a great player. I get that, but call it like we see it. He was
0: horrible. That last six minutes, like I said, you felt like hey, we just saw what happened a week ago. Thirteen seconds, Mahomes can get it done. Their play calling and his decision-making, taking those sacks, abysmal, abysmal work by Mahomes.
2: I mean, I think you could almost do, and and I got to do this, I think you could almost do a documentary on the final drive of the game. Yeah. You know, when when Andy gets the ball back, he's got first and 10 at the 15, right? And Mahomes scrambles, and he goes out of bounds. Mm. Like, first and 10 at the Cincinnati 15, you have to call a run there. He went empty, and Mahomes scrambles. And he's out of bounds. Okay. Right. So now what happens? Cincinnati doesn't have to use a timeout. If you run the ball there, Cincinnati is now forced to use their timeout. Okay. Now you're going to see what kind of game Cincinnati's going to play here. Second down. Again, Mahomes runs out of bounds. Four yards. He gets off the hook when they throw the when they when they do the shovel pass. So now he's got first and goal with the five. First and goal with the five. He calls, he calls an inside run. They get a yard. Timeout number three. So now he's got second and four at the goal line. Why not another run? Let that clock go all the way down. Let it go all the way down. But what does he do? He gets sacked. He gets sacked. Minus five yards. So now he's got, now they call a timeout. Now he's got third and nine from the nine. And he takes a 15-yard sack. Like, I don't know if you could get any worse play. You can get any worse game management. See, what I think people don't understand, game management is linked to all the sections of situational football. It isn't just standing independently on its own. And to me, this sequence here is as bad as it
0: gets. A lot of questions for the Chiefs. As you said, Mahomes was awful in the clutch. Andy Reid, again, screwing up a conference title game. And one more thought on the Bengals and their defense specifically. You know, again, we focus a lot on Burrow and Chase, Mike, but that defense, they stood tall when need be, and they put pressure on Mahomes in need be.
2: No doubt, and I can't wait to watch the tape today because, I mean, something was going on on the sideline. Did you notice Tyreek Hill? He was going berserk on the sideline. Yeah. Like he, was having a, he was having a meltdown, and I had the volume of the TV way low, so I couldn't hear what they were talking about. But, it, I mean, it seemed like he was having a real panic. I mean, he was having a real panic, and he looked like he was pissed off, and he wasn't getting the ball. I mean, look, the, the game went—the the, the Chiefs did exactly what they do to start the game. When they started the last game, when they were up 28-17 to 17 at the half, they had scored on four drives. I think they scored on four of their first five drives. They, they did the same thing in this game, and they, they had no second-half adjustment. Like, where is that? Like, that's going to be the main question. Where was the second-half adjustment? And, and all of the credit goes to the Cincinnati Bengals, who've been able to just stay in there, continue, don't flinch. I mean, it's really kind of remarkable.
0: They didn't flinch at all. No. Oh, Chiefs choke, and the Bengals showed their poise, and they're back in the Super Bowl. Congrats to that long-suffering fan base. You can only imagine I said they are. Third Super Bowl, their first since 1988, seeking their first-ever Lombardi trophy. And then the 49ers and the Rams. This one lived up to the hype. As you and I both said, three-point game. I call the Rams to win. They went all in at the poker table, and they stepped up. They finally beat the Niners. Niners have beaten them six straight times, but this time Cooper Cup and OBJ were unstoppable. 255 yards and two touchdowns they record four. However, the Rams, as far as their defense is concerned, did not record a sack, but as expected, Jimmy G made too many mistakes, critical late interception, just a bad throw. How about Aaron Donald? I mean, that final play, he just puts that pressure right on Jimmy G, nothing. Him to do tough, hard fought game overall as the defense is, as we thought, Mike. This one went as scripted, yeah. And it, the under
2: came in play, and that half point was critical. We talked about it. I think if it was a three point game, I would have taken the Rams at three and a half. You had to take the Niners, you knew it was going to be a close game. Uh, really, two poorly ma- managed games. I mean, Sean McVay, he might want to outsource to India too some <laughs> of his game. Man. I mean, who's advising him on these challenges, right? Like, seriously, horrible, horrible. Who's he talking to? Like, uh, and, and Kyle's just as bad. I that, mean, that
0: second one from McPathie, you're right. I watched him, like, why were they even challenging the first one? Who was in his ear saying challenge it? And now you haven't have no even time. Saw a replay. Yeah. Fox
2: didn't even give us a replay early on that. Like, and yeah. I went on Twitter and everybody on Twitter was saying, you can't challenge that. <laughs> not that Twitter's ever right. But I mean, like, sure. the people that were at the stadium are sitting there looking on the giant scoreboard. They're saying they're not going to win that challenge. Right. You know, I, I, I just think to me, when the 49ers can't run the ball, they had 20 carries for 50 yards. Mitchell had 11 carries for 20 yards. They they can't win it. I mean, Garoppolo didn't play nearly at a level that you got to play it. And to win a championship, when you're playing Garoppolo, at quarterback, the rest of your team has to play well. But here's my biggest thing. How in the hell does Cup continue to get open on key downs? Like, everybody knows he's getting the ball. Like, you know, every Bella knows he's getting the ball. Like, and they don't double him. He's in the red zone against cover, two. And, you know, they say, oh, he ran a great route. No, he didn't. He just ran a simple route. Like, he was wide open. Oh, he ran a great route. No, he didn't. He was single covered. He had a two-way option go. Like, that's not a hard route. Like, it wasn't anything. You sp- just he's getting the ball. If you treat him like a pedestrian, then you're going to get results the way they are. Two touchdowns in the red area. He ran a wheel route. Like, seriously. Like, I know he's a great player. I give him all the credit. But, like, at some point, when does the defense take him out of the game? And the fact that Niners' defense couldn't stop him on third down, I think one of the decisions Kyle Shanahan made that was the wrong decision. Fourth and first of all, when he had the chance at mid, what he was at the 40 yard, after they got the ball from the, when McVay went for it, he yeah. challenged that ridiculous spot, you know, which was ridiculous to begin with, right? The score is 17 14. They just score, right? And Garoppolo gets the ball. Bad decision by, uh, by De- Debo Samuel to take the ball out, 14 yard line. It makes a, sh- a, th- a throw to Ayuk. Then now they get it going up the middle. So they got a third and two right at right at the Rams' 45 yard line, and they they bring in Trent Williams and they try to run. Like at that point in the game, there's 10:42 to go. I know you're at midfield, but at some point you got to kind of score. You need to match their score. And McVeigh challenges. McVeigh does the really the, the, the really horrible challenge and he doesn't get it because of the time, and he loses his third timeout. At that point, to me, I think I go for it there. Like, you got to have some way when it was, again, here it is again, second and one in a key point in the game, much like Tennessee had against Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati had Tennessee third and one at the the Cincinnati 35. Don't get it. They go back for it. They don't get it on fourth down. Like, at some point, Kyle's going to look at his play calling here and say, this is where we lost the game second and one and don't get a first down there. That's the killer. And then the Rams take the ball and go right back down the field. And they go up and they tie the game. And then they, the 49ers have the two worst drives I think they had all season. They go, they go, you know, they get the ball at the 25. Next thing you know, they have a delay of game penalty. Did you notice during this whole game, they never call, the clock was hitting zero on the play clock and they never called delay of the game?
0: I noticed, especially late in the game. Those last couple of drives, I'm like, man, the refs are really just letting these guys get away with it here. Because otherwise, there should be some false our delay of games all over the place. Yeah. It was definitely surprising. But I think at that point, the refs were like, we not, we don't want a call like that to really impact these teams because the offense is such an inability to get rolling. That's my guess.
2: Yeah. But here's where I think Kyle made a big mistake. Because he doesn't watch the game, because he's always looking at his play sheet, when he didn't go for it on fourth and two there or fourth and one, you know, and he punted it back. Yeah, He was waiting to try to
0: draw them off sides. It didn't work out.
2: Right. right. But I think what he's thinking is we're playing great, we'll play great defense. And and in theory, that works. But if he was watching the game closely, they were never calling a call holding in the game. He was never getting a holding call and he was never stopping them on third down. So his ability to play great defense was only centered on his defensive front being able to put pressure on Stafford and they weren't calling holding. And so since they weren't calling holding, Stafford had time to stay in there and make throws. Like, I don't think he linked it together. Like, I think that's what a head coach should be able to do. I'm watching this game. It's fourth, it's third, it's third and one. I got to have a really good play call here because if I can't punt it back, because my defense, as good as they are, they're not giving me any break. I mean, they're tackling these guys. Like, I was screamed at the television six, seven times. Are they ever going to call holding? They never were. And this is a crew that was particularly interested in making calls. I think that's where he messed it up. I think that's part of game management is understanding the flow of the game and I think that's where sometimes I think analytics doesn't get that. But in this case, as as usually as conservative as I am, I would have gone for it there, a d.
0: Well, wow, that is surprising to me because I would have thought you'd say, you know what? The defense is playing so well. We trust our defense offensively. It's a short field. We don't want to give the Rams potential points there. But I think in Kyle's defense, my guess is he's saying he's looking at the points on the board. Saying, all right, we've only given up this many points. We can do this thing. We've got a lead. Sometimes you start to play a little bit safe. I mean, these were two teams now who had the lead. Then the Niners are up 17 to 7 entering the fourth. They just figured, just kill that clock. We've almost got it. And unfortunately, a little too conservative in this case.
2: Well, I, I think too, you know, Kyle, I mean, he had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter of Super Bowl. He lost that. Yep. He had a huge lead in the Super Bowl, a 16-point lead in a Super Bowl Again, when he was the offensive coordinator, lost that. And now he's got a 10-point lead. How many times have I said on this podcast, if you don't score in the fourth quarter, you're going to lose games, regular season or play? I mean, he he didn't get any first downs. He he didn't get any – I think he got two first downs in the entire fourth quarter. He got two – and he was 0 for 3 in the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, the Rams are 4 for center, 4 for 7. I, I think when you watch these guys who are head coaches – that don't call plays and are watching the game. I think they make decisions based on the ebb and flow of the game and saying, look, as good as we think we are on defense, we're not getting any holding calls. Bosa's kicking this guy's ass, but they're tackling him. And so it's not, and we're going to have a hard time covering the guy. Now you could say, well, you know, Tarrett dropped the interception. Okay, I get that. He did. You know, and that could have been a huge play in the game. But I think there's more – somebody's got to be in charge of the flow of the game and understanding the end result. It's second-order thinking, if you will. Like, we're going to do this, then we got to do that.
0: Right. Yeah, ultimately, for the Niners, you're really not thinking second-order thinking. Frustration for the team once again – as the Rams, they win their fifth NFC Championship. They become the second team ever to host the Super Bowl in their own home stadium. A thought on Matthew Stafford. This is a guy who I think the whole time I'm thinking, Mike, this guy is one interception away from turning this thing over. Did have a pick. Throws for three on 37 yards, so two touchdowns. He goes from Detroit. Mired in the motor city and all that mediocrity. And now he's back in the Super Bowl.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And I mean it's good for him. I mean, he tried to throw another interception. They dropped it, but <laughs> he made the play. And, and the fact the Rams really couldn't run the ball. I mean, McVay was trying to run the football, but he really couldn't do it. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, in all honesty, I mean, if that kid catches that pass, we might be having a whole different conversation about
0: Stafford, but yeah. he didn't. I mean, talk, talk about it. How do you not? I mean, listen. I get it. That's the whole joke. That's why he plays defense on offense. But you talk about a play that could change the game. That interception would have been enormous. It, it would have been huge, you know. And he just dropped it. I think he lost it in the
2: lights. It looked like his. He lost. He he didn't focus on the football. So, hey, look. It, it, I, this is going to be a, a, an interesting Super Bowl. I think it's almost like I said earlier. This is going. I'm surprised the line opened up at four. I thought it would be a little bit more than that. Remember when Brady played the Rams in that Super Bowl? They were 14 point underdog.
0: Right. So that can happen sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to go up that high, but I think it's going to continue to go in the Rams' favor because playing at home, you know, the Rams can throw the ball. Their offensive line, I thought, did as good a job as they could do, particularly the fact that they didn't call holding. I mean, if they, if that would have been a regular season game, there would have been seven holding calls in that game easy.
0: And one thought here on the 49ers, lastly, as far as their quarterbacking situation moving forward, they drafted Trey Lance, as we know. He's not ready right now. Jimmy Garoppolo made some key mistakes, did not have a strong showing. Do you think it's a matter of time before Lance becomes the guy?
2: I think they have to do it. I don't think there's any choice, right? I mean, I think it's. I think the one thing that's pretty clear is the team likes Garoppolo. But at some point, the organization's got to make that decision. And, and there's always a new team, right? Like this team in its current shape is going to be different than next year's team in whatever shape. But I think more than anything, you know, when the the one thing i think when you watch samuel player i think samuel's a great player but when you hear them we've got to they you got to run plays to get him the ball that's never really easy for offensive coordinators that's really not offensive coordinators you should like you don't have to run a play to get chase the ball then the offense gets chase the ball you don't have to run plays to get randy moss the ball The offense gets Randy Moss the ball. And I think sometimes Samuel, because he's not such a great route runner and it's not all pristine, I think sometimes you run out of ways to get him the ball. I think it's inexcusable for Kelsey to only have four targets and two catches in this game. When you go to a game and you're limited offensively and your two best players really only touch the ball seven times in the game. Then I think that's a real issue, and I think Kyle's got to evaluate that and be honest with himself. The other factor is too that you know we I bitch about the Bengals offensive mm-hmm. line. I mean, other than Trent Williams, this offensive line for San Francisco is horrendous. Yeah, I mean it's really bad. And even Alex Mack, the center, it takes him forever to snap the ball back. If you watch, I mean they serve lunch on his on his shotgun snaps. I mean it's ridiculous. <laughs> They're in the air so long. I mean, God damn, you get a meal. Yeah. You don't just get a box of pretzels on his shotgun snaps.
0: I just feel like for the 49ers, they're gonna Garoppolo's gonna take a lot of heat, but you're right. There's plenty of blame to go around overall. Who knows if Lance is the answer? That remains to be seen. Coming up next, McDaniel's a saber in Vegas, Dable in New York, plus NFL head coach and GM Carousel keeps on turning. All that more next in the GM shop.
1: 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
0: All right, Josh McDaniels is the guy. He gets another chance. Obviously, uh, made his bones with the New England Patriots as an offensive coordinator. Gifted mind didn't work out. Previously, as a head coach, now he gets his chance with Vegas. Mike, I know you're a fan of Josh. What do you think about him getting another chance now with the Raiders?
2: I mean, when you when you used that term "made his bones," what do you think I thought of immediately when you said that? It is bones. Either a Godfather or Sopranos reference. Which oh, was... it's a Mo, it's a Godfather. It's Mo Green. No, Mo you Green. <laughs>
0: That's
2: right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he made his bones. I mean, we should introduce. We should have Mo Green come in and do that. The glasses. Yeah. I, I I think Josh is one of the most talented coaches I've ever been around in my career. He's smart. He's detailed. He's been amazing as a coordinator His experience in Denver at age 33. Wasn't working. I I wrote, we wrote a piece today on the daily coach that we're recording this on Monday about why I think Belichick's disciples fail. And part of the real issue is a lot of them don't understand what happened in Cleveland. In part, they don't understand that you must train people to think the way Belichick thinks you can't retrain people to think the way they want them to think. And I think that's really a challenge. And, and people say, well, how different is Belichick than everybody else? It's vastly different. It's completely different. And most guys that are stuck in their ways have a hard time changing. And so that creates fiction within, friction within the organization, which creates non-culture buy-in, which is usually then be, becomes power, becomes magnified when you don't win. And I think this is really the core issue. And for Josh, he gets to go to the to the to the Raider organization where Mark Davis has basically said, You run it. I'm out of your way. You you do whatever you want to do. You hire, you fire. And with Dave Ziegler, your general manager, you two guys set up my organization in the spirit of the Raiders. And I think it's a great opportunity. So I, I expect it, it's gonna be hard, but I think they'll they'll try to work around Carr, get his contract extended, give him another year because you're not going to get better than Carr out in the open market based on the quarterback. So I think, I think it's a great chance for him. And I think he'll he'll show people who criticize him for Denver that he has grown and he's changed as a coach. Because if you if, if you want to criticize him for Denver, you're saying the guy has no intelligence he's never going to change. Yeah. That's kind of unfair.
0: I completely agree. And if you could look at the history of NFL head coaches, I mean, you could write a book on it. You were working on this book about guys who succeeded the second time around. And for whatever reason, you know, sometimes it's them, sometimes it's the organization, sometimes it's culture, but you get a second chance, you get better. You fix the mistakes you made, right? There's no question. I think McDaniels will do a better job now with, with the benefit of experience. No
2: doubt. I mean, look, Marv Levy's in the Hall of Fame. He got fired by Kansas City. You know, after, you know, during the strike season when things fell apart. I mean, it happens, Belichick. I mean it, it happens. And I think the only way you become you you don't become successful is if you sit there and rest on your laurels or don't admit you made a mistake. Like you don't admit that, yo, this is my fault. You got to sit there. And I know when Josh got fired in Denver, he spent a long time going over what happened in Denver, the mistakes he made. And I think he's taken a long time to to try. I know we tried to hire him in Cleveland when I was there, he didn't come. Chris Ballard tried to hire him in Indianapolis. Thought he had him hired. He didn't come. This job, even though it's not in the Midwest, which is where I thought he would end up, this job is perfect for what he wants to accomplish because it gives him a chance to install his culture with no interference.
0: Next up, Brian Dable in New York. You and I both like the job he did with the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, their offense was clicking, particularly with Josh Allen with the controls. However, the Giants are an absolute mess. We all know that. They're going to try to work out Daniel Jones. Hopefully, he's healthy this year. Uh, listen, on paper I like it cuz I think Dable's a good guy, but I just I've seen so many coaches fail in New York. I just don't know how successful he's going to be.
2: Well, I mean, look, he's going to have to he's going to have to fix the quarterback and he's got to fix the roster. There's no doubt. And they got to give him time to do it. And when you've replaced a coach who's replaced a you know, after the last three coaches have all only had 2 years, you got to feel like they're going to give you enough rope. Right. And so he's got to have a chance, and I think Brian's been around the block enough to know what his chances what he needs to do. And and he's going to have to kind of integrate that culture within along with, with along with the general manager. They're both kind of tied at the hip, you know, and for Brian, he had a chance at the Miami job. They were going to bring him down for a second. I think this is a better situation because in the NFC, if Rodgers were to leave Green Bay, I mean, you're dealing with Stafford. You're dealing with who's the quarterback in San Francisco. You know, what are you dealing with in the East? You're dealing with, is Jalen Hurts really going to beat you? You know, Dak Prescott there. I mean, if you can fix it like the Bengals did, I mean, the Bengals turned it around with really the pick of Burrow and obviously the pick of Chase. So I think it gives them a better chance to kind of get this thing turned around by going to the Giants. And I I would have done that. The interesting job out there. Miami is, you know, Mike McDaniels, which I and Kellen Moore, the two finalists. But over the weekend, A.D., uh, we we know that Jim Harbaugh interviewed for the Minnesota Viking job. And I think to me, and I'm not saying that he's not interested in Minnesota, but Stephen Ross and Jim Harbaugh have a close relationship. And Jim Harbaugh has always, and Stephen Ross has said he's not going to steal Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. He's a Michigan man, he's going to leave him there. However, that being said, I think by getting it out that he interviewed in Minnesota, it now allows Stephen Ross to stay to Michigan. Look, he's leaving anyway. Minnesota's probably going to hire him. Let me hire him. Because if you're down to Moore and McDaniel, I think you should reopen the the visit. I think you should reopen up the candidacy. Because I think you can find better coach. Because those two guys, at this point in their career, are not going to be better than Brian Flores. I mean, this is a fact. Jim Caldwell, if you wanted to bring Jim Caldwell in, I I wouldn't say a word. But, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, Mike McDaniel, who may be really smart, but neither Moore or McDaniels carry enough presence to walk in there and really feel like they're going to take it over. I think this is all just a move for me that Harbaugh ends up in Miami.
0: Yeah, if you're Harbaugh and I have a choice of Minnesota or Miami, I mean, immediately I look at the quarterback and you and I both feel it too as a... You know, far from a diamond in the rough. But I look at the talent of Miami and go, listen, this team ripped off an excellent winning streak. They've got certainly pieces on defense, whereas Minnesota, they're an underachiever. Cousins is a big contract. Like, I I honestly think if I'm Harbaugh, Miami, I, I think, is the better job for me over Minnesota.
2: Well, yeah, and you have a relationship with the owner, right? I mean, you know the owner. You're both Michigan men. I mean, and you know, the owner's going to, and Chris greer not, not gonna, Yeah, and Chris Greer's not going to be in there and saying, "Okay, do the." Chris Greer's going to say, "Whatever you want to do, Jim, let's do it." You know. Now, obviously, you got to work through the Tua thing, but to me, if you want to come back, I would rather go to Miami and do that than go to Minnesota and have to deal with that. I, I just think, to me, if we know, and we do know, that Ross loves Harbaugh. This is his opportunity to hire him. Yep. And you can't tell me that McDaniel. That you were going to hire McDaniel, or you're going to hire more, and not at least talk to a coach who's a proven winner. It makes no sense. It seems a setup to me. Maybe it's just because I've been spending too much time on the Kennedy assassination,
0: <laughs> and I think everything's a conspiracy. But to me, I, I see this. Um, that is what could happen in Miami. Last one before we get to the mailbag. Guess who's coming to dinner? What do you think about New Orleans? And Houston, I know those Saints fans can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well,
2: uh, I, you know, to me, I think it's Dennis Allen. I like the fact that they talked about Brian Flores. I almost think, you know, if you go with Dennis Allen, you're basically you, you're 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 going to become a remember when organization. You don't give Dennis Allen a chance to really clear the deck. You become remember when. You know, this is the way Sean did it, and then when you don't do it the way Sean did it, then everybody, well, we did it this way. I mean, it's one of the problems with the Dolphins. You know, they always say, well, when Shula was here, we did this. Well, Shula's not here anymore. But you know, you couldn't let the ghost of Shula go. You couldn't let the ghost of Bear Bryant go at Alabama. Sometimes I think when you change from such a successful coach like Sean has been, I think sometimes you need to radically change it. For me, I don't understand how Brian Flores is unemployed. I really don't. I mean, that guy is a proven coach who's had success in the league. He maybe he's not doesn't play nice in the sandblock. Maybe feisty. Look, Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, Jimmy Altieri has made a very great point about it. You know, we need a Supreme Commander. They're they're usually a little feisty, you know? (laughs) Right. So, I I don't know. I mean, to me, in Houston, look, I I, I think Houston wants a committee. I mean, Nick's involved. We know he's on the headsets during the game, which I find really to be amazing. I don't understand that. But because to me, you've crossed that line from GM to now you're in the coach's box. I think that's a sacred line that you can't really cross. You've got to let that go because now you're meddling, you know, it's like the the Seinfeld, and uh, not the Seinfeld, the Larry David. You got to, you're a midler. You're sitting at the middle of the table.
0: he's a great midler. <laughs>
2: Mid, yeah, you, know, you can't be a midler. You got, you got to be. <laughs> if you're the general manager, you got to be at the end of the table. You can't be in the middle.
0: Okay, <laughs> you got to be the authoritative voice. You're not. What do you think? What do I mean, you mean, Nick's, yeah?
2: Nick's trying to be a I mean, Nick's trying to be a midler? He's trying to stir up the conference. Like, get at the end of the table. You're the supreme commander. You don't need to do that. Like, hire somebody. Hire somebody that you feel like can you can have go to bed at night knowing that you're not training him. Yeah. No. I think it's I, I I find that hard to believe. If it, I mean, how do you how do you hire Josh McCallum and then look at all these other poor coaches who have given up their hearts and souls, minority or or any a coach, and and not give him a chance? I mean, I find it hard to believe.
0: Pretty 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 good. That reference from you, as far as the Midler is concerned. Let's get to the mailbags, shall we? As always, send us your mailbag questions at gmshuffle at gmail Feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. Sean from Austin, Texas. I was wondering. If it's a common practice or should be for the offensive and defensive coaches to collaborate at all each week before installing the final game plan or script. For instance, does anyone from the offensive coaching staff go to the defensive side and say something along those lines of this is what we see on tape and vice versa for the defensive game plan to be critiqued by the offensive coaching room before installation?
2: Right, so, Sean, that's a great question, but I think this is what a head coach should do. And this is why, with a lot of resentment coaches who come from the Belichickian tree, which is really from the Parcells tree, which is really from, you know, uh, it goes back into a, a long time ago, Parcells, through Al Davis, Sid Gilman, all that, is they watch practice tape. The head coach watches practice tape as an entire staff. It infuriates everybody, but it also allows you to manage the game during the week. So Belichick might sit there at the head of the table. He's not a middler. He sits at the head of the table and he says, hey, you know, I don't like this look. Hey, when we get getting the first th- look. We're Third and one, let's make sure we run this early in the game and go back to this. And so you're basically, what he's doing during the Wednesday and Thursday staff meetings is he's managing the game and identifying the offense and the defense and the game plan. Look, I think you better be careful here. Like if he's watching that practice tape and they practice, I'm sure they practice that option route that that Cooper Cup ran. If he's watching that, don't you think we need a double Cooper Cup here? Like, let's make sure we get cup-handled. And that's the part that's really missing in the game. We don't have that. We don't have that. And that's one of the things that Josh McDaniels and Brian Dable are going to have a hard time installing as they go to a new place is because coaches don't want to do that. No coach wants to sit in there on Wednesday night and watch the offense when he's coaching defense. They bitch, they complain, it's too hard, but that's how you manage a game correctly.
0: Good question there from the mailbag that gets us to the weekly awards. Who's going on the lamb? Well we know Jimmy Garoppolo's on the
2: lam. I mean, Poor guy he's headed out to he set it out to pasture. I mean, look, Andy Reid's game management. I think the Chiefs, you know, deserve I mean, you can't you can't have a 18 point lead playing at home and give it up. Like seriously, like, like that's just horrible. You know, to me I think Garoppolo and the offense of the 49ers, I think the game plan of the 49ers, not getting the ball, not being able to run the ball. I think those are lamb worthy. How about the Fred Palermo
0: Award? best game plan of the week?
2: The Bengals, they do it. I mean, they do it. Give it to them. I mean, you got to give it to them. And, and the fact that they were able to come down on the road. I mean, this is their second road game that they've been able to win effectively. And they played in close games and they don't blink and they don't blink. And they won this game without Chase dominating. That's the other thing. Higgins was the big guy. So you know they made him play left-handed and Burrow. I mean, how about the way he gets out of sacks? It's just unbelievable.
0: If you don't know now, you know. I'm going to take it from you. I think it's the fact you said that Burrow's got a little Brady in him. This team reminds you of that 01 Patriots team. I, d-
2: I d- definitely do. I mean, you because I've been I've been knocking them all year, not thinking they're very good. But let's face it, they're good in the kicking game. They do a good job in that. Their defense it makes great adjustments, and Burrow's a special kid. And sometimes there's just magic in the water, and
0: they have it tough to think Zach Taylor's in the Super Bowl but hey sometimes they to listen to these things. right
2: hey now. it was tough to see Ed Orgeron win a national championship too I mean look,
0: two years later after
2: Burrow left he you know Burrow's got that magic yeah, appeal yeah, right well
0: said Pop Culture Minute I got a book review for you Blood in the Garden which is a great new book by Chris Herring it's about the 1990s New York Knicks I just picked it up and uh, it's a fascinating read 290 pages if you're a Knicks fan you love that era of 90s basketball Pat Riley comes across as fascinating this guy leaves the Lakers and he's absolutely immaculate. Valiant and ruthless, he just wanted the Knicks to rough other teams up and just be just literally bloody him up. It's called the flagrant history of the Knicks. Ewing, underappreciated superstar, never got that title. Heart like John Starks, they, they, the Garden Love Starks. The guy shot two of eighteen in Game Seven of the NBA Finals, but to this day, they still remember the fact he dunked over Horace Grant and Jordan in the shot as well. And Anthony Mason, Mike, talk about one guy I would not want to mess with. Anthony Mason might be one of the toughest guys. Charles Oakley, so yeah, '90s Knicks. It was really cool to read that book
2: can I ask you was Riley did he play nice in the oh sandbox my God. I mean, or was he a supreme commander <laughs> he was a
0: supreme commander tough
2: guy okay Both there the, we go that's, that's what I thought those practices I thought. you want to win you want to win you better get one of those supreme people said they there were yeah, shot really that he wasn't
0: in the military like he was such a drill sergeant with the guards. The practices and discipline and the slick back hair the Armani clothes did not suffer fools gladly wanted power wanted control but it was his say Ewing loved him I mean the, he goes to the heat he's the ultimate villain the whole crowd's booing him and Patrick goes over and gives him a hug John Stark shook his hand the guy's an unbelievable coach. Is he a pain in the ass? Of course he is. I'll tell you this quick, Riley's direct. So he's such a pain, right? The guy's like, man, he drives us hard. He insults guys, gets in their faces. But once he could tell that they're a worn down. So he doesn't tell them they're flying and the guys are getting nervous. like, where the hell are we? In the middle of nowhere. And they see that they're in Vegas. They land in Vegas. They're like, okay, I'm not sure what's going on here. They're like maybe Pat's pissed at us. He wants us to practice, whatever. They get out of the plane, they got limos. They go to the hotel. Pat goes, all right, and I've been driving you guys hard. 36 hours, we're all going to gamble. It's on me. They're like, yeah, it was like Braveheart. And he gave them $500 each to gamble with. And he was like, it was like a kid at Chuck E. Cheese. These guys are millionaires. They're getting 500 bucks from their coach with their own money. John Starks blew it in like 10 minutes, the crap stable. But that was a cool element of Pat Riley. He did know when his team could use a break and he didn't know when to push them.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what all great leaders do, right? I mean, I think he gets it, you know, but I mean, look, at some point, somebody's got to be driving. Somebody's got to be making the, you know, making making the decisions and pushing. I mean, it Secretariat with a 23-length lead, the jockey was still hitting him in the ass.
0: <laughs> you can't let up. Uh, how about for you?
2: I haven't, you know, I've been still on this Kennedy thing, and it's fascinating every, every time I turn around. And read something differently about, and then I got hooked up into this New Orleans. I mean, New Orleans will never be the same for me again. I mean, just the whole how the setting of it all, uh, you know, how Carlos Marcello and all the people in the restaurants that are down there, and how it all kind of intertwined between Rube, between Oswald Ruby and and Clay Shaw or Clay Bertrand and all that. Yeah. It's, it's it's this book is too good for me. Clay Bertrand. I, mean, I remember I, I,
0: Tommy Lee Jones in the movie. It was just such a chilling. Great in that? He was great. I mean, that was he great? In that? He was awesome. I mean,
2: there were so many great actors in that movie it's it's just really remarkable I mean Joe Pesci was great as (laughs) I mean in the role that David Ferry I mean when you read about Ferry trying to cure cancer with mice I mean and this book is basically just takes the Warren Commission and goes back and forth. So almost done, Young, young uh, Yellowstone. Got to finish that up. And then I don't know where we're going to go from there. I watched the, I did watch the Anthony Bourdain documentary. Oh, yeah. You were looking forward to seeing that. How was that? I was, it was a little depressing. I got to be honest. It yeah. was a little dark. I mean, what a great writer, though. The guy was a tremendous writer. Just yeah. so conflicted. There was no happiness. He couldn't find—I mean, it's like Big Daddy watching a goddamn Packer game. There was just no happiness that he could find. I mean,
0: he just couldn't get to it. One thought here on JFK, my buddy James Scully sent to me. He goes, I know your boy Lombardi's all over this. In September 1980, Charles Harrelson, that's Woody's father, surrendered to police after a six-hour standoff in which he was reportedly high on cocaine. During the standoff, he threatened suicide, stating he'd killed both Judge John H. Wood and President John F. Kennedy. In a television interview after his arrest, Harrelson said, at the same time I said I had killed the judge, I said I had killed Kennedy, which might give you an idea to the state of my mind at the time. He said the statements made during the stand were an effort to elongate my life. According to Jim Mars' 1989 book, Crossfire, Harrelson is believed to be the youngest and tallest of the three tramps by many conspiracy theorists. The three tramps are three men photographed by several Dallas-area newspapers under police escort near the Texas School Book Depository shortly after the assassination. Lewis Gibson, a well-known forensic artist, matched photographs of Harrelson to the photographs of the youngest-looking of the three tramps. Wow. See, I mean, it gets interesting every day.
2: I mean, the J.T. Tibbet murder gets interesting. They've got people going. The most, One of the most interesting people that you read about is this guy, Richard Case Nagel, who basically, he goes into a bank in, in El Paso, and he basically got himself arrested. He shot in the bank to, uh, to, uh, to the lights. And never tried to rob. He just shot a gun in the bank. He got arrested. And basically, he told people the reason he got arrested is he did not want to be the patsy in an assassination that was coming up.
0: Gary
1: Oldman. It's all I'm a, it's I'm a patsy. I'm a patsy. Uh, I'm a
2: patsy. Didn't, isn't that what he said? <laughs> yeah. I'm just a patsy. I'm just
0: a patsy. So uh, good. Thanks for checking out the GM Shuffle. Solid 40 minutes here. We'll come back and, of course, preview the Super Bowl in depth. I can't believe it. The Bengals are in the Super Bowl. Congratulations, Cincinnati.